Hello, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. And uh, we'd like to welcome you again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics, where we look at various uh, theology, Christian theology, apologetics books, and work through them for you, so that, or you can work uh, along with us so that you understand, and we talk about what's going on in those various books. So in this episode, we are working through, continuing to work through the book by Jason Lyle here, Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason. And the subtitle here is Refuting Alleged Bible Contradictions. So in this uh, book, uh, Lyle, and particularly this chapter, Lyle is going to talk to us about what he calls yes and no. That's the title of the chapter. And he says that uh, in this chapter we examine claims that one verse of Scripture affirms what another denies. And, of course, that is the definition of a contradiction. Which was one of his main writing points at the very beginning was everyone calls everything a contradiction. But right. this this is where we would truly find a an actual contradiction as defined by the definition of words. Because, yeah. unfortunately, today words lose meanings. But uh, he's trying to reclaim the, the term contradiction even. So. Good, good, yeah. So let's kind of dive right in here and see uh, what he has to tell us here with regard to uh, these particular alleged contradictions. The first one, uh, number 299. So you recall he has over 400 of these that we are. 420. 420. So that we are, we've, uh, so we're only touching, you know, uh, on some of them here so that you can get a feel for how this works and how his book works. And showing that we can expand upon these things. And this is just a, a good reference guide and that there's, there's more that you can do. There's more fuller answers that you can come from this, but this is a really good book on all those difficult or hard questions that you may ask. And so um, that that's one of the reasons I think we're at the end going to recommend this book is because, first of all, it's Dr. Jason Lyle, and yeah. we haven't not liked the book as yet. <laughs> and also, uh, it's a really good resource. Yeah, good. So this first one, uh, 299, uh, is uh, this is an interesting one. In fact, probably this is one that we have seen before lots of times. Well, right? Especially from Dr. Lyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It says, um, should you answer a fool <laughs> according to his folly? Proverbs 26.5 says yes, but Proverbs 26.4 says no. Yeah, right? seeing that they're verses right one after another. So uh, clearly there there's something amiss here. Um, but uh, let's, let's read these verses. Uh, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so, uh, yes, there does seem to be... Uh, well, which one do I do? Right. And in uh, reading the Bible, we have to understand what we're reading. Uh, th- there's different genres. There's just different authors, different different time periods. Uh, it's written in different languages. So we have to be concerned about kind of what we're reading. We're, we can't just take it at face value that this is a history book that many people just want to claim, uh, you know, is a is a broad brush stroke of of what the Bible is now it's it is a history it, book. it, it is God's you yeah. know uh, uh, revelation in time um, but there are many different uh, areas and, and and genres that is being written about here Proverbs is a book of poetry and uh, there's something known in Hebrew as parallel parallelism yeah and, and <laughs> I'm sure there's a, a better Hebrew word for it that doesn't tongue tie you but yeah. um, here it's comparing one thing contrasting just the opposite and there's a purpose for it and you see it throughout the book of proverbs too uh, because there are uh we should say generalities that it's speaking towards so uh with all things being equal this is what 
uh, you should do or not do or uh, seek after or not seek after. And so it's comparing um, what you should do here and what you shouldn't do. Yeah, good. So what uh, Dr. Lyle points out is this is a failure to distinguish between the different senses of how the Mm -hmm. phrase and the words are used, right? In other words, the sense uh, is different between the two verses. Uh, in, in verse 24, it indicates, I'm sorry, verse uh, 4, Proverbs 26, 4, indicates that a fool should not be uh, answered according to his folly in the sense of becoming like him, right? So you kind of uh, what uh, assume uh, that what he's saying is correct, and so you follow, uh, follow his presupposition, his assumption, right. and therefore you're becoming like him when you when you answer him according to his folly. Mm-hmm. Right? So those of us who have studied presuppositionalism probably have come to know this because this is kind of uh, where we get our understanding of how we uh, argue or fight or answer uh, people who who have uh, doubtful questions or who are attacking you or um, anything that, uh, you know, you're, you're called to stand to give a reason for your faith. Um, one of the critiques in kind of the discussion currently of of apologetics is um, where where do you meet the the unbeliever at? Do you just hit him with facts and facts, and hopefully he'll be weighed down by how many facts towards the resurrection there are, or if you show him enough bits of pottery to show that uh, okay the the fact that King David might have existed during this time frame uh, should get me to believe in. Uh, a, a, a deity or you know uh, do you do you assume that every little bit of information or evidence out there is uh, evidence of God and uh, presuppositionalists think that that's what the Bible claims and so there's no arguing based on neutral ground let me set aside my Bible and let me argue from uh, wherever you're at as mm-hmm. as an unbeliever. Well, kind of like fact attacked, right? Where yeah. now you throw your facts, he throws his mm-hmm. facts, and they're facts attacked. Yeah. And that's not a, usually that's not a really effective way to get someone to at least think about or even change their mind. Right. right? There, there are many good reasons to, to kind of have that presuppositional standpoint. Um, and, and just one of the main reasons is it's not actually what you believe and you're trying to have the person understand, no, I, I believe God is in charge of all things. And so uh, everything out there is part of his evidence. And for me to set aside my Bible and say that it's not the ultimate standard of truth, that I'm lying to you. And it's essentially what I'm told not to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so with this particular approach, it's, it's kind of a disruptive approach where we try to get behind get away nothing wrong with giving facts sure. that's very important right. in fact that's the way uh, oftentimes the uh, the apostles preached right mm-hmm. jesus was raised from the dead right it was a fact right so nothing wrong with that in fact it's effective it's what god uses and that sort of thing but this kind of approach uh tries to get behind the facts kind of a disruptive worldview approach where we try to get the unbeliever off kelter with regard to okay Okay, fine, you believe that, but what has to be the case for that to be true? Mm-hmm. Now let's think through that because we want to uh, have them examine their worldview and that sort of thing. So the other verse on this is, this verse says, don't answer. The other verse says, answer, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where, the, uh, where the, the, the idea, oh, it might be a contradiction. But again, the idea of answer here in the other verse, Proverbs um, 
26.5 indicates that the fool should be answered in such a way as to notice, expose his fallacy. That's what uh, Lyle wants us to see. So that he cannot be used, uh, cannot be wise in his own estimation. So, for instance, in one of his earlier books, in fact, the, the first one that we worked through, mm -hmm. ultimate, uh, The Ultimate Proof of Creation, he makes this kind of one of the central ways to, uh, to, to deal with an apologetic method to deal with, uh, with the unbeliever. He says he calls this a two-step uh, strategy that's found in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. The first step is we don't answer. Right? We do not answer the unbeliever according to his folly, that is, his fallacious presuppositions. Right? These are what he, his assumptions are, and we don't buy those. So we say, no, we don't agree with that particular uh, fallacious, false presupposition. But then we come back and say, but what would happen if what you believe is true? Mm -hmm. And so we answer them according to their uh, you know, fallacious presupposition right. to show them that that how the folly, the foolishness of what they're believing, yeah, or so, what they're claiming. So one of the good examples that uh, I, I always think um, kind of shows this uh, forthright is um, the problem of evil. So you're, you're talking with uh, someone that says, oh, you know, if God exists, how how can there be so much evil in the world? You have, you know, uh, uh, serial killers and murderers and rapists and all these things happen, and they're all evil, evil, evil. Can you explain that to your God, yeah. uh, your God existing? Well, there, there's there's an answer for that. You can, you know, um, talk about, you know, uh, uh, humans having uh, a, a product of their free will to do um, uh, what's um, uh, you know what's according to their nature, and so they they act out in accordance with their nature. Uh, you can talk about how um, you know the the love of God comes in and changes those hearts to show you know a, a greater um, impact of how how salvation changes people. You look at the Apostle Paul. You point to the cross and say, uh, "Here you have you know the 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 very first uh, innocent man put on trial and and killed. And he's completely innocent of everything at any time." And point to the what that means. But the very fact that he he or she used the term evil, there's a presupposition embedded into that. So you look at it and you go. Hold on just a second. Let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing. What what do you call evil? How, how what, by what standard do you have to say murder is wrong? Because according to a naturalistic argument that believes in evolution and survival of the fittest, um, murder is just what happens in the animal kingdom too. And there's really no uh, yeah, it could know. be. It's just an action. Yeah. If there if there is no standard, then it's just an action. We may not like it, right? But so what? The, putting evil to it, where does that come mm -hmm. from? Right? It's just an action, right? If a if a lion kills a gazelle, we don't say, "Oh, yeah. the lion is evil. It's a murder," and that's what. No, it's just an action that happens in nature. So what's what's this? Why are you calling one action evil and another? Where where does your standard come from? And is it an absolute universal standard, or is it just something that you're making up, or maybe even your society is making up? And if that's the case, why should I accept it? Yeah, in a postmodern world, uh, <clears throat> maybe it's evil for you to kill people, but on the other side of the world, it's not evil. Yeah. Uh, who's to say? How, how do we come to that standard? And um, it's, it's interesting to argue those points, too, because uh, you could be talking to the best behavioral scientist in the world who knows the 
intricacies of the mind and, and, you know, how choices are made. But then you can take a step back and say, well, hold on, let's talk about where we get those definitions from, where we get our standards from. You know, if, if, if there are contradictions like uh, people are claiming in this book, how do you know contradictions are a bad yeah. thing? Yeah. You know, or how do you know that they exist? What, what if, you know, two plus two equals four here, but on the other side of the moon, it's not, you know, it's not four. <laughs> yeah, and especially with the problem of evil, right? So we, we step back and we say, you know, we're really asking the question, what has to be the case in order for for evil to exist or in order for us to call something evil? What has to be the yeah. case? Well, there has to be a standard that we're saying, uh, you know, something either does or it doesn't meet that standard, right? Okay, well, where does that come from? Well, it's, you know, it has to do with... Uh, uh, humanity, you know, it's it's it, the standard is what's good for us. Well, why is that the standard, mm-hmm. right? Why isn't it what's good for an amoeba or a draft? Why do we have to be? Well, we're thinking beings. So what? So if an alien comes down that's more sophisticated and thinking than we are, and they like human meat, we have to change the standard because yeah. they determine it. Well, that's yeah. ridiculous, Apex right? We would all say, no, that's not the case mm-hmm. because we know that there is good and there is evil. And the standard comes from the true and the living God. It's it, by uh, having God as our standard, particular God's character as our standard. Now we have an ultimate standard that is universal because he is an infinite God and his character is our standard. But they have, Stolen, they borrowed from the Christian worldview in order to make an argument for evil, right? Right. So saying something is evil and it's and it's wrong, there there are two there. How are they defining evil? They're getting that from an understanding that there is a good and an evil, which comes from a biblical worldview, and that there can be a a um, an economic viewpoint that one is better than the other, and so. Um, you know, if, if, if actions are just, you know, actions in this world and we're all bumping into each other as, you know, space broccoli or stardust or whatever you want to, uh, term it, then, you know, who, who cares if that extra bump causes the cessation of existence in that other person? And what's the difference between a human and a dog? Um, other than, you know, they're just different species that you don't want to be specious. Yeah. So, so this, 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 this putting up the mirror in front of them and saying, this is what you're arguing and saying, you know, let, let's, let's make sure that you're, you're coming to terms with the ideas that you're presenting and the presuppositions you're bringing. And you have to kind of build up your own worldview because I have a worldview that I'm, that I'm proclaiming through God's word as, as God's revelation to the world. And I'm proclaiming it. And that's the, um, uh, you know, don't don't be like the person because what you can do is you can kind of um, pr- present argumentation that isn't biblical that kind of works in the argument, but it won't uh, it won't present the true gospel that you're you're trying to um, come up with. So you may say something like, uh, you know, th- th- this this may get me in trouble, but uh, that God has uh, middle knowledge and that he kind of looks down the corridors of time. And so, um, you know, he doesn't really interact with evil actions until they kind of happen upon and then he's got to react to it. Um, and, and, and so he doesn't quite have you know, complete full knowledge. Or yeah, he, so, so if you believe that, that would probably get you in trouble. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I, I would hope so. But yeah. there, are, there are people and there are true Christians that I would say that believe that too. 
Um, however, I, I, I think that's a hard uh, tenant to hold. Um, but that's that's one of the, the dangers that you make by saying, okay, well, let me put my Bible aside and not argue from a biblical point of view, but let me kind of uh, take you up on your offer and say, well, you know, let's look at the best possible worlds or, you know, let's, uh, let's imagine a world without evil. And so you kind of construct a world that doesn't exist and that doesn't speak to what you're trying to point them to, which is what the Bible says about yeah, who God is. Yeah. Good. And so the Bible says that God is good. Right. God is good. So that's our standard. He is our standard. His character, holy, righteous, good character is our standard. And so if the unbeliever doesn't have that, they really have, I mean, their standard is kind of up in the air. And so according to Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, we don't answer the fool according to his folly. Right. We say, well, wait a minute. I don't accept your standard of right. good and evil. But what would happen if I did? Where does it come from? What, you know how 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 did you gather it? And here here the, if if we assume that there is no God, then where do we come up with the 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 notion of good or evil? Well, I mean, we might say something harms us, but so what? Why is that evil or even good? There's good harm and evil mm-hmm. harm and yeah. all kinds of surgery things, right? is bad, yeah. but it's also yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, so this one then uh, is uh, we have to distinguish between the two senses of the terms. In fact, what Lyle says is (laughs) that in verse 4, the verb for answer is in the imperfect form in the uh, Hebrew language, indicating that it is descriptive. And in verse 5, the verb answer is in the um, imperative form, and it commands us to answer the fool in such a way that he sees his foolishness. Yeah. So when we take <coughs> take the Bible for what it is and we see the imperatives, those are the commands to us yeah. or to somebody, uh, we should kind of take that seriously. So yeah. we have to understand, uh, d- does this verse apply to us? Um, I would I would say that yes it does and so and um, is it contradictory? No, it's not because right. it's different senses. We're mm-hmm. taking the term uh, answer in different senses. Right. right. Yeah. So even within it, it we we kind of have to understand the Hebrew for it so that would help us, uh, you know, get these descriptive and imperative um, uh, verb forms as well. So that would help. Yeah. Good. So that one is uh, that one's a lengthy one, but I think it's important because it helps us to uh, clearly understand a particular. Uh, philosophical approach, we might say, uh, worldview approach to the whole notion of what apologetics mm-hmm. is all about. Right? It, it helps us to say. So, really, what we're answering in this kind of apologetics is for the unbeliever. Okay, if that's your claim. What would have to be the case for it to be true? And so we try to step back, get behind, you know, the basic idea, and see if we can. Uh, allow the the assumption the presupposition that they have to float to the top so that then we can examine that and if it's if it's a biblical presupposition we say you know you that's what we yeah. believe you've stolen it because you don't have any basis <laughs> hold for on it, right? now. Yeah. yeah if it's not then we can show where it's wrong mm-hmm. right? and, and we can do this for any of these questions there are presuppositions built into any claim that you make um, you know, from from the sense that you uh, you're looking for an answer to your question, 
you're assuming that there's order in the universe. And so there, there's a, the big assumption right there is why, why do we assume order rather than not order? Yeah. Everything that we should see, especially starting from a, a supposed big bang, usually big bangs create big messes, not, yeah. not big order. So, yeah. so we should be seeing a breakdown of something. So, um, but e- even with, within these, we can kind of take a step back and say, um, I can answer your question here, but let's take a look at why you're assuming um, you know, the, the the murder of the Canaanites is, is an atrocity. Well, okay, first of all, why is it an atrocity? Why is it considered, ba- uh, why is an atrocity considered bad? Uh, why is murder bad? Uh, all these things you can, you can kind of attack as, as your primary focus of, of the question and then say, you know, uh, well, you know, if we assume that the Bible's true, then um, God claims that he's just and he carries out judgment against sin and this is one of the means by which sin is carried out is yeah. why he commands the his people to, to clear the Canaanites. Yeah, very good. All right, so this one has taken uh, uh, quite a bit of time. So, you know, I'm going to, it, it might be good here. We've gone uh, quite a ways here. <laughs> yeah, we thought we were going to get way more than <laughs> yeah. this. But, uh, I would say that then this is a good kind of introduction and obviously this is one that Lyle has used in his other book. But it's a good understanding of, of where to kind of leap off from presuppositional apologetics. And uh, again, that, that's maybe a scary word, but presupposition uh, apologetics just means that you're, you're attacking the, 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 the assumptions that someone looks at uh, the world ends. So, yeah. it's, so their it's, worldview. Yeah, right? it, it, their, their worldview. Imagine like their glasses and it's how they look at things. So uh, you have two paleontologists, one's from Answers in Genesis, one's from uh, BioLogos, and, <laughs> and they go, oh, that's um, millions of years of, of evolution that brought that bone that, there. That fil- yeah, that fossil. Yeah, right, or yeah. that's the result of a, a worldwide flood. So, and so um, it's only thousands of years. Yeah, right. so it's not a, oh, this is my evidence over here for evolution, This is, uh, and this one is my evidence for uh, creationism. It's the understanding that everything in the world is evidence for God, and that's clearly taken from God's word, especially uh, I think Romans 1 tends to be kind of our uh, plant back at home uh, uh, collection of verses uh, for presuppositionalists. So it's not as scary as the term as you um, are thinking that it might be, and also it gives you kind of another uh, arrow in your quiver to say, well, let's take a step back and I can answer this question or find answers for this question, but let's look at what your presuppositions are. And so um, we, I mean, we spent, I, I think, what, maybe six years now, although it, we, we really honed it in on, in three. So yeah. if you take three <laughs> years, you can really kind of start getting um, a, an understanding of, of how to break down what someone's argumentation is. And uh, for Lyle's other book, uh, Ultimate Proof of Creation, he has a list of um, people that have written in and he breaks it down like that, so that's really good. So yeah. I, I point so to that we would well. we would recommend that book as well. That yeah. one was, uh, as as we have said uh, a couple of times mm-hmm. now during this series, uh, that was the one that kind of got us started. Yep, right? yep. Well, because of a single chapter in one of the other books that we just read, and we we're like, oh, that that sounds nice. Yeah. And we picked it up. <laughs> good. 
All right. Well, let's end this one here. Yeah. And uh, again, we didn't get very far, but hopefully we will as uh, in the next <laughs> sections. But then we'll. Um, but I think I agree with you. This one was an important one and helped us to at least get out on the floor again the idea of what apologetic, at least a particular method in apologetics is all about. Right. Yeah, uh, well, we still have plenty to do, as Tony was saying, and uh, you can come back uh, next time and next week and check us out.